Hello and welcome to This Is Modern Rock, the podcast that takes a month-by-month look at the modern rock charts. I'm your host, Will Westerkow, and we're here listening to April 1993. To help me out with that is my favorite guest, Orly. Wow, 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 wow! It's me. What's up, Orly? <laughs> Not much. Just here, podcasting with you, Will. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, what's new? Anything new? You were here not too long ago, just a couple episodes back. Yeah, what's happened since then? Go to any shows? See any concerts? I'm just going to comedy. Mm. Just seeing comedy. Is it musical comedy? I wish. I wish there was more musical comedy out there for me to see. You know, kind of, I guess, right? I went to a live wire taping and there was music and comedy. Okay. You know? Next to each other, not combined. Not combined. They were adjacent. Uh, yeah, who'd you see? I saw Paul F. Tompkins mm-hmm. and Gary Gullman, two of my absolute favorites. Mm-hmm. And I felt really lucky to be there. It was so fun and yeah. funny. Love those guys. Love those guys. You get them on the show. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> Come on, Paul. Come on, Gary. You know you like music. Come <laughs> Got on. Got to. All right. Well, we're going to be talking about April 1993. But before we do that, we should listen to the mystery achievement. Okay. This is a song from the lower reaches of the modern rock charts. Would you say it's underground? Underground. I don't know if I'd say quite. It's almost underground. Okay. But uh, this one's number 27. All right. Let's see if anyone remembers this one. Well, there it was. I knew that one. I think this is maybe the first mystery achievement that I actually knew really well. I don't know the song, but I'm pretty sure I know who it is. Yeah, well, if you want to find out, you got to stick around to the end of the episode. Okay. See what I'm doing there? I'm tricking the listeners. Oh, yeah. Forcing them to listen, to slog through the episode Uh, just to find out who that was. Eking it out. (laughs) All right. Well, let's get into it. Let's do it. You know what we haven't done in a while? I used to say, like, what was going on in the world. Oh, yeah, you like, did. Why, oh, yeah. why'd you stop doing that? I don't know. April 14th, 1993, Bill Nye the Science Guy debuts on KCTS-TV in the United States. I mean, I guess that's historical. Music news, David Lee Roth was arrested for purchasing $10 worth of marijuana. $10? What could that get you back then? Half a gram? I, I don't know. 19, I do. It's half a gram. Oh, you were purchasing marijuana in 1993? No. But I know. All right. Well, let's get into the modern rock charts. Please. Please. <laughs> we don't have any new number ones. Uh, the, the previous number one, Depeche Mode's I Feel You, it's carrying over. It's going to be number one all through the month of April. Yeah, that's rad. That's a good song. We're going to have to listen to a number two. Okay. Lenny Kravitz, held out of the top spot by Depeche Mode. No way. That's right. I heard that Lenny Kravitz song so much more. It's funny how that happens sometimes. Dang. Yeah. You're like, I don't even remember this number one, but this number did it seven sli- over here. Did it slide over, though, into the um, Hot 100? Maybe that's where it was doing damage. Okay, so it reached number 60 on the Hot 100. Oh, so no. So Yeah. No. I mean, you know. You know what, It's then? on the charts, but it's not like a big hit. It, you know what it was on? It was on MTV. Non- 
fucking stop. Yeah, and that's an amazing thing where the song will be like kind of a moderate chart hit, but it's all over MTV, and so yeah. it's more well known than yeah. other songs that were getting for sure. Presumably more radio play. I don't know. Anyway, we've talked about Lenny before. He's charted a few times. We talked about him once on the show. You've talked about Leonard Kravitz. That's right, Leonard Albert Kravitz, born in Albie. New York City. His mom is actress Roxy Roker. Mm-hmm. His dad is uh, a former NBC TV producer, Cy Kravitz. Mm. So he's um, self-described as half black, half Jewish. I mean, he is that. Anyway, I dug this up. Lenny Kravitz was named after his uncle, a war hero who died at the age of 20 in the Korean Aww. War. And mm-hmm. I just thought it was really interesting. There's a picture of his uncle on Wikipedia, and he's looking very serious and young in his military outfit. Mm-hmm. And there's pictures of Lenny Kravitz, just about the same age, and, you know, dreadlocks and chest exposed mm-hmm. and nose ring. And uh, it's just wild how completely different these guys look. All right. Well, the last time we heard from Lenny Kravitz on this show, it was his first single, Let Love Rule. I like that one. Were you on that show? I think so. Yeah. I'm your Lenny gal. And also, uh, I brought this up last time, but I just love it so much. When he started his career, he wanted to go by Romeo Blue. Yes. And you know what? That's just funny. It is funny. (laughs) But I think he was convinced by his future wife. Lisa Bonet. Lisa Bonet to uh, change it and go by his actual name. She's like, nobody knows who Romeo Blue is. Use your nepotism to your advantage. Yeah. All right. So in 1993, Lenny Kravitz is back with his third album, also called Are You Gonna Go My Way? Mm. And the song hit number two on the modern rock charts. Here it is. No, I don't anything to do with this. <laughs> what? Nuh-uh. Was there something wrong with that? Yeah, that's not good. That's not the real version? What the Mm-mm. heck? That was the Moog cookbook version. I brought those guys up last episode. Uh-oh. That's Roger Manning from Jellyfish. Oh. And um, Jellyfish. that's their cover of Are You Gonna Go My Way. Incredibly good. Oh my gosh. Better than the original? No. <laughs> I, I will hear that. I'll hear a little bit of the original. I okay, you want to how... hear the actual one? Okay. Yeah, just, just open it up a little bit. All right. Okay, fair enough. Here it is for real. Lenny Kravitz's Are You Gonna Go My Way. I mean, it's repetitive, but I like that guitar riff quite a bit. And in comparison to the guitar tone of that first song that we heard, this is leaps and bounds better. I heard that guitar tone come in for that mystery achievement, and I wanted to like scratch my ears off. Oh, no. (laughs) And I just like the sound so much more of that Lenny Kravitz guitar. Yeah, well... You know, if you like the riff, you're probably going to like the song. If you don't like the riff, That's you're it. probably not going to like the song. That's this it. Is, this is... Um, it's the song. Yeah, the riff is the song, for sure. But I don't need, like, four minutes of that riff. 
Sure. I mean, I also like the... On the yeah, I like that too. I, was that the chorus? I don't know. What and that the is. and the drums are really fun and energetic. Yeah, when I was in seventh grade, yeah. when the song came out, I would hang out with one of my good friends who was a neighbor, and she, we would watch MTV. And she hated Lenny Kravitz. Every time it came on, she would act like she wanted to barf. Like Why she hate Lenny Kravitz so much. She's you know just like you look at someone and you're mm. like, this is not for me. Okay. So my mom would always laugh. She'd laugh. She'd go, oh, Jennifer, Jennifer. And every single time she saw Jennifer, she'd go, how's Lenny? How's Lenny, Jennifer? <laughs> and then we were adults. Yeah. And my mom was like, oh, how's Lenny? And she was like, I don't even know what your mom's talking about. <laughs> and I, to- <laughs> I told her. And she goes, honestly, I don't even mind Lenny Kravitz anymore. <laughs> I was like, oh, wait, you grow and change since seventh grade? <laughs> Yeah, well, not to moms. Not to moms. And so now when I hear Lenny Kravitz, I'm just like, how's Lenny? <laughs> yeah, no, I like that. How is Lenny? How is Lenny? I mean, I think that the sound was great for the time. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, kind of revivalist. Well, you know, what's interesting is last episode when we were talking about jellyfish, we were talking about how they were pretty revivalist. They were drawn on a lot of... 70s era bands mm-hmm. and nobody was having it because that was out of step with uh popular mm-hmm. taste at the mm-hmm. time lenny kravitz is drawing on you know some late 60s mm-hmm. early 70s sounds and people were having it a little bit more they were having it more for sure yeah what about the best line in that song which is we've Oof. got a hug and rub a dub oh no that is the best line for sure <laughs> I mean, I don't be rude. Lenny, I don't think, is known for his what? his uh, what? high quality <laughs> lyrics necessarily. That's not what we're coming to Lenny for. <laughs> we're coming for a good time. Yeah. And some badass licks. Yeah. And I thought people were coming to him because they thought he was sexy. But sure. apparently, I mean, Jennifer doesn't. Jennifer was not into it. No. She liked Tupac. Okay. So when she saw Lenny, she mm-hmm. was like, this is the opposite side of the spectrum okay. for her. Yeah. You know? Now, we may notice, if we go back to a couple albums to Let Love Rule, it was more of like a flower child. Yeah, and I like that know, song kind too. Of yeah. like peace and love, like hippie yeah. sort of deal. And here he's jumped forward a few years. Yeah. We, uh, you know, we're post-summer of love. Yes. Yeah. Yes. He's toughened things up a bit. For sure. Did you know that Lenny Kravitz co-wrote Justify My Love with Madonna? I don't think I knew that. That became a number one hit in the U.S. That's his biggest hit. Just oh, my love. If he didn't even record it. No, but I mean, it's his biggest hit that he wrote. That he wrote. Yeah. Interesting. Anyway, over the next few years, Lenny Kravitz worked with or for Aerosmith, David Bowie, Mick Jagger, Slash, Al Green, Curtis Mayfield, John Paul Jones, Stevie Wonder. Was he just writing songs or producing? He was, he was playing with them. Okay. He was like, yeah, working with them in some capacity well, he was or like another. like session musicianing for them? I don't know. I think these guys were just like, man, we need some fresh blood around here. Here's this guy that likes classic rock. Like, let's bring this new guy in. Yeah. And he can, uh, you know. What do we guess he is? 5'3"? <laughs> <laughs> I'm leaning on the on the shorter side. Yeah. 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 He's all head. And, you know, and his hair is big, too. His hair is big. Like he's, for he's sure. Head, yeah. For sure. Yeah. Here's something amazing, though. Okay. Somehow this guy turned a moderately successful bunch of hits. Uh Uh-huh. Put all that stuff together, stick it on a Greatest Hits album. His Greatest Hits sold over 10 million copies worldwide. Oh, I mean, that's awesome. Wow. Yeah. 
That's impressive. That's very impressive. Yeah, he had enough that people are like, I'll buy it all at once. Yeah. You know, you're not an album guy. It's cool. Some people are singles people. I got to admit, I only own one Lenny Kravitz album. It's the greatest hits. hits. It's the greatest hits. That's true. Wow. Yeah. One more fun fact. Okay. Lenny Kravitz appears in season 14 of The Simpsons. As himself. And I'm sure he's wearing a vest. I bet he's wearing a vest. (laughs) And he rats out Kenny Loggins for crotch stuffing. Oh, my God. Well, uh, watch out. You don't want to enter the danger zone. Yeah. Which is what I call Kenny Loggins pants. (laughs) (laughs) Stay far away. Can we keep going? Yes. Keep going. We're going to jump down to number four. We got another band we've heard from once before. It's Living Color. Okay. This band's also from New York City. They are generally referred to as like a funk metal band. This band was formed in 1984, and the original group consisted of singer Corey Glover, guitarist Vernon Reed, bassist Muzz Skillings, and drummer Will Calhoun. And with some, I didn't know Will Calhoun was in this band. You know Will Calhoun? Thought so. You know him from something else? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you're thinking of Rory Calhoun. Maybe. His name just sounds really familiar. <laughs> you know, I thought the exact same thing. You're thinking of Bill Callahan. Oh. It's like the same name. Yeah. They should take turns being each other. All right. Well, the band released their first album, Vivid, in 1988, and it was a hit. By 1993, the band was only on their third album, so they're not super prolific. The third album was called Stain and was the first album to feature new bassist Doug Wimbish. Oh, Doug Wimbish was in this band? (laughs) Of course. First of all, bad name. Stain? No. Oh, you don't like stain? Is there a good connotation for the word stain? Well, let me tell you. It's just all bad. You're not the only one who didn't like the name stain because a year after the the album's release, the band was sued by a band called Stain. Not stained. Not stained. Stain. And they were prevented from selling, distributing, or advertising for this album for about a decade. Yikes. So wait, it didn't come out in 93? It came out in 93. But no and, one was allowed to buy it. And they could buy it for maybe a year. And then this other band, Stain, they're like, you've named your album after my band. Stop selling your album. Oh. Because it's going to hurt my record sales. That no one knows about. Yeah. Well, What a cool band, Stain. They sound really cool. Now, Stain, the album, coming back to Living Okay, Color, phew. Mm-hmm. This album's a little heavier and darker than their previous stuff. It leans a little more into the metal. Maybe okay. a little less into the funk. And it didn't get the best critical reviews when it came out, but the album was maybe ahead of the curve. These songs talked about subjects like bisexuality, Mm. empathy for immigrants, misinformation in the media. Oh, yeah. All kinds of topics that seem very relevant and uh, in the news a decade or two or three later. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, we're going to hear the song Leave It Alone. Okay. This is the lead single from Stain. And it became the band's third and final top 40 hit in the UK. It reached number four on the modern rock charts. All right. Here it is.
it's funny, especially like right after Lenny. Yeah. Right. Because you go like, you know, there's like, oh, two black guys in rock and roll. And I think that because there's not so many, it's like maybe all in one category or something, but oh, they're yeah. very different. I like Lenny Kravitz more. Like I enjoyed that song more like as a song, mm-hmm. but even after I heard it once or halfway through it, it's like very predictable. You know exactly how it's going to go. Kravitz. Kravitz. Yeah. Right. This one had a lot of surprising bits going on. Yeah. And like interesting timing and a crazy solo. Yeah. The solo was crazy. And like, I like the part that I don't know if it was even like synth. Mm-hmm. Was there like this, like, and it was came in like weird timing. And I thought that was interesting every time that came in. But it had a little bit of that guitar tone that I'm not a huge fan of. And like, and I, a, lot, a lot of it has to do, I think, with funk. Well, and metal, right? In general, yeah. I think you're probably tending to favor classic rock guitar and grunge guitar yeah. over funk and metal guitar. Yes. Is that fair? That's fair. Yeah, there's like this like the real funk bass uh-huh. is happening and then there's like that real like kind of poppy snare mm-hmm. not like pop music but it sounds like popcorn yeah popping like, like an incubus snap. snare that incubus snare <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think the thing about the song that makes it stand out is there's elements about it that feel alternative mm-hmm. and feel like modern rock but there's also elements that sound like hair metal yeah like the kind of stuff that is very much not modern rock that like like a lot of the up up and coming guitar bands are really pushing against oh yeah to me this sounds more like metal and hard rock than it does like modern rock yeah like these guys sitting next to the cure is like huh yeah and I i hope this isn't out of pocket but i almost feel like by virtue of the fact that they're people of color makes them alternative no, I I know what you mean. It's almost a little bit like they don't have a choice but to be alternative because the rock and roll space is so like not only male dominated but very white dominated. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So if you're outside of that at all, you're not going to get to fit in that like big rock category. Mm-hmm. Whether you're a woman or a person of color or anything that distinguish any sort of intersectionality that's not that is going to put you into the alternative category. Your humanity is alternative almost. <laughs> sure. And I mean, I think we've seen this quite a few times that the record industry, they don't know whole, what to do. They want to, they want to put people into boxes. Yes. Yeah. And in fact, I think I mentioned this way back when, but Lenny Kravitz, he had trouble getting a record deal because yeah. people thought he sounded too white for white oh, music and too black gosh. for black music, whatever that means. I bet they got the same thing. They probably did. I'm sure they did. Yeah, so they were fighting against that. But I love what they're bringing here. It's a lot of energy. It's a yeah. lot of cool ideas. And they have, I think just by virtue of being you know, yeah. people of color, they are drawing on influences that a lot of white musicians n- might not be drawing on. Absolutely. And some of the same influences, of course. But that's what we need. You know, If we're going to have a diverse chart and i'm not speaking of like race and culture here i'm speaking of like, like just musically m- music if we yeah. want diverse music to listen to and not have every song sound exactly yeah. like the same pop song people need to be drawing on different influences yeah you know? absolutely anyway the song leave it alone was nominated for a grammy for best hard rock performance 
Hard rock. Yeah. Yeah. But they lost to Stone Temple Pilot for plush. Mm. Don't feel bad for Living Color, though. They actually won that Grammy, same category, in 1990 and 1991. Oh. Yeah. Well, yeah. Come on, guys. Yeah. They're killing it. Let someone else have a turn. Yeah. Anyway, Leave It Alone was the band's fifth modern rock chart hit out of six total. Although, they apparently covered Cream's Sunshine of Your Love. Oh, I love that. For the True Lies soundtrack in 1994. True Lies. Oh, I never saw that. Uh I did, but probably in 1994. And the sunshine of your life. Living Color disbanded in 1995, citing musical differences. That means drugs. Oh, <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> they reunited in 2000 and have released three studio albums since. Wow. But, you know, speaking of diverse influences, their most recent album from 2017, in addition to all of their original songs that they wrote, the album features covers of songs by blues legend Robert Johnson, okay. Notorious B.I.G., and Marvin Gaye. So, How's Biggie on there? <laughs> no, 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 no. These are co- they're, they're co- oh, covers, covers, covers. I was like, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> no, they did not resurrect Robert Johnson, Notorious B.I.G., and Marvin Gaye. All those guys are dead. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> that would be impressive. Oh, I thought they were doing like one of those you know, hologram situations. <laughs> no, but this is a funk metal band. No, and that's they're, awesome. They're covering blues. They're covering hip hop. They're covering They're covering soul. what matters to them. Yeah. yeah. And that's, I don't know. That's, that's cool. That's rad. Yeah. Yeah. So if that sounds cool to you, and it should... Check it out. Yeah. You should check it out. I will check it out. I'm going to check it out. Let's keep going. We're going to hear from Charles Michael Kittredge Thompson IV. Is that a real name? No, that is a real name. Okay. Uh, We're going to hear from Frank Black. That's his real name. Uh, Oh, Charles Thompson. We know Frank Black because he was the lead singer and principal songwriter of the Pixies, who we've heard from a number of times. I believe it's Pixies. Although he was operating under the name Black Francis right, at the time, right. for his solo output, he decided to switch it around, do the old switcheroo, and call himself Frank Black. Pixies put out their final album, Trouble Monde, in 1991, but they didn't officially disband until early 1993. And in the meantime, there, their bassist Kim Deal had already formed The Breeders with Tanya Donnelly, and Black Francis was considering a solo career. So... As we come into 93, he had recruited keyboardist Eric Drew Feldman, who played with Captain Beefheart and Per Ubu, and he picked up drummer Nick Vincent and Pixies guitarist Joey Santiago. In 1993, he released his first solo album, also called Frank Black. Nice. I like this album. It's weird, but it's also poppy in a way that a lot of his later output is not. And you can hear influences from the Cars and the Stooges, Beach Boys, the Ramones, but all through like an early 90s alternative Mm. rock filter. And we're going to hear the lead single called Los Angeles or possibly Los Angeles. This one hit number six.
a good man Sailing and shoring You got a bit of charm this song always makes me think of Jethro Tull's Aqualung. Mm. It's got the heavy, big guitar, doo, 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 and then it halfway through the song, Aqualung, my friend, don't just start away uneasy. I like Whatever. that. They're they're known for their quiet, loud, quiet. Yeah, I mean they are, but this was less of a like quiet verse, loud chorus, and more of like there's an A section of the song that is half of the song that is heavy and loud. Uh And then there's the B section, which is the second half of the song, which is... But it opens with the... Just for a smidge. With the acoustic guitar, and then he jumps into the acoustic guitar at another point, too. Doesn't he? No, it's like little acoustic Acoustic. intro. I wanna live in Los Angeles. That for a whole bunch, and then a big, long acoustic outro. Yeah, Yeah, I'm into it. That's definitely getting closer to what type of music I enjoy. Mm Mm-hmm. And I could have maybe even enjoyed it then, but guess who was definitely not cute enough for me he to like? Yeah, <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't quite hit the, the top marks on the attractive meter for you. Is that? No. Yeah. Actually, it's funny in the video, which, by the way, directed by John Flansburg of They Might Be oh, Giants, huh. for at least part of the video, there's a fake Frank Black band, oh. like fake performing the song and they it's like four chris cornell's oh, yeah. you know what i mean like yeah yeah, yeah. that's what we yeah. want to look at and then we see frank driving a little mini hovercraft around the desert the song's cool but again i don't know what he's talking about i can't i can barely hear what he's saying yeah i'm coming to this as a really big pixies fan right and i like the way he sings i think the melody at the end is real cool it's just like a nice immediately memorable dreamy quality to it it is and when he hits he hits hard you know i i agree and that's what's what's funny is like i hear this song and i go like that sounds really cool this guy is not cool <laughs> like i know he's not it is, well it is one of the really interesting things about pixies even kim deal and i know i'm gonna have listeners who strongly disagree with me she's not cool the band is not cool. They're very they, uncool. I don't. They sound cool as hell. They they sound so cool. Yeah, like, their music is cool. It's like everything the they record is, is cool. Just so cool, and I love them. And if if you didn't know what they looked like ever, you would picture some cool people. Yeah, you know, it would be like almost like yeah yeah yeah's level cool. Yeah, and then you see them for real, and you're like, no what where did this come from <laughs> and you know what as a middle schooler that matters and you're like oh i can't be into that band that person's not cool enough for me but as a very much post middle schooler mm. it almost makes me like them better i mean i'm fine either way honestly but <laughs> <laughs> you still need the dreamy I, good looks i'm what if i had a choice <laughs> i'm gonna choose the d- dreamy good looks sure lenny kravitz mm-hmm. honestly he looks pretty cool yeah you see him, you're like, that's a rock star. Yeah. He looks cool, but he doesn't sound as cool. I agree. As Frank Black, who looks negative cool. Well, Frank Black is going to keep cranking out some reliable sounding rock uh, yeah. after this. We're going to hear from him again. Um, He's going to give us a headache. He will give us a headache. That's correct. You know, And then he goes on, he plays with the Catholics for a while, uh, some rock that's just a little too capital R rock for my taste mm, in general, Okay. Uh, before eventually reforming the Pixies, minus Kim Deal. Yay. Let's keep going. We got one more. We're going to be hearing from a singer named Tasman Archer. Tasman Archer is a British singer of West Indian descent. 
In the late 80s, she formed a group called The Archers, but the band failed to get much record label attention. Because they were sued by Archers of Loaf? Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. No, they were not sued by Archers of Loaf. (laughs) Anyway, they eventually switched to a solo name. Started going by Tasman Archer. It's still a band, still a songwriting partnership, but they're going by Tasman's name. And Tasman's first single, Sleeping Satellite, that's what we're going to be hearing. It became a huge success in the UK, where it reached number one. It went top 40 in the US as well, but not nearly as successful. And it reached number 12 on the modern rock charts. And this happens every now and then, and I'm always amazed by it, where something's like a number one hit in the UK, but over here it's like, yeah, it's kind of a mid-level modern mm. rock hit. Mm-hmm. Okay. Over there it's popular. Yeah, over here it's, it's alternative. Right. Is it alternative because she's black? That's the thing. That's the thing. I didn't know she was black, but she, oh, you said West, you said uh, West African. West Indian. West Indian. West Indian as in the West Indies, as in nothing to do with India or Indians, right. but to do with like yeah. Caribbean area. Caribbean. Yeah. Okay. I think so. Yeah, 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 yeah. West Indies, Barbados. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Glad we cleared that up. Where are the West Indies? Guess who knows some geography. <laughs> we never took any. <laughs> All right. Well, this song, Sleeping Satellite, appears on Tasman Archer's first album called Great Expectations. Here it is. Number 12 hit. Okay, first of all, yeah. the second it started, I was like, I definitely know this song. I've mm-hmm. heard it many times. MTV? So, here's what I think. Okay. I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. I think it was on Pure Moods. Okay, so this is one of those CDs that they would sell us on the TV. Uh-huh. They'd show a commercial and play clips of... I think so. And huh. I think it's... I think... I just feel like I, I've heard it that part of that song too many times... Like they had an organ solo and I was like, I've never heard that organ solo before, but I feel like I've heard that part of that song mm-hmm. a lot. It's funny that you mentioned Pure Moods because it is like, you know, early 90s British soul, but it definitely has that Enya-ish, mm-hmm. like new Celt- Celtic New Age Yeah, music. it's New Age. Yeah. And all of that sounds like if you take my taste, it sounds like a recipe for disaster. Like uh-huh. I should hate this song. And I really like this song. It's a good song. Yeah. yeah. It's like, I was not expecting to like it based on like the genre, but I like the song. Also, I always got hung up on that line because I didn't know she was saying the sea's still dry mm-hmm. because I feel like seas aren't dry. So yeah. that couldn't be that. Yeah. So I was like, the seats are dry. The sheets are dry. And then you started thinking about the time that you like sat on a wet seat and you were just so uncomfortable. And like, I did. And it was horrible on a bus. Too. Yeah. Horrible. Oh, on a bus. <laughs> on a Ooh. bus. Oof. On a bus. Someone oh, please. Man. I'm sorry. <laughs> Should have warned me. <laughs> Why was that seat unattended? <laughs> yeah. Why well, I, I happen to know more or less what the song's about. Okay. I think you're going to like it. We're talking about the moon. The sleeping satellite is the moon. Oh. And this song is really about how we as 
Earthlings uh-huh. gave up on that kind of space exploration in 1972. Uh, after we got bored, we sent enough mm. people to the moon and we said, well, we've done that. Cool. And we, we've never gone back. Uh huh. If you listen to the lyrics with that in mind, suddenly you're like, oh, the eagle's flight. You know, oh. like, oh, the sea, are the seas still dry, right? Sea of Tranquility is where the eagle landed. Oh. Let me tell you. Okay, okay, okay. Because um, I was going to say, like, I don't need to hear about eagles mm-hmm. in any song ever, but I guess that makes more sense. Yeah. The eagle has landed. Is the, that what that's from? The, the moon, moon landing? landing? Yeah. That's cool. I mean, I like her voice, too. I get, you know, I love... Mm-hmm. I, She's a, a really nice voice. I listen to voices, and her voice sounds nice when it's smooth, mm-hmm. and it also, like, also sounds good when she puts a little vocal fry in there, and it almost doesn't match, but it's just right. To where it's interesting. Yeah. You know, like if she had a real new agey voice, that would be less interesting. But she's got more to it in her voice. So it's more texture. Tasman Archer released a couple more albums sporadically after Great Expectations and Shipbuilding, but apparently did not really enjoy fame and Mm -hmm. the media attention that went along with it. Her last album was in 2006. Although, and I hope I'm not telling tales out of school... I heard from a pretty reliable source that she is currently working on a new album. Oh, that's rad. Yeah, so hopefully we'll be hearing from Tasman Archer soon. Hmm. Well, that was it. Four songs of the modern rock persuasion. Yes. The mystery achievement. Did you know what it was? Yeah. What was it? It's 311. It was 311. That was the song Do You Write from their first album. I didn't know it until I listened more and more and it's like those drums that I can't stand. Whatever they're doing. You heard the popping drums and you're like, that's 311. Well, it was that or Incubus. And I don't think it was Incubus. Yeah. I mean, I'm amazed that 311 showing up this early on the charts. I, Seriously? I, I knew that song because I had a, a good friend in high school who played 311 relentlessly. I thought they didn't come out till 97. I mean, it's lower reaches, but here they are charting in 93. Yeah. Tight on the heels of Nirvana and Pearl Jam. You know what? That guy was cute and it still wasn't good enough for me. Oh. Sorry. Oh. I didn't know this about you. I thought cuteness was all it no. took. Oh, oh my wow. God, no. Okay, so here's here's the real question. And okay. no offense to Frank Black, but if you had to choose between Frank Black, who you've already established you do not think is very attractive, or well, very, very uncool, personally me. Or, or 311, Nick Hexum, right, good who looking. you think is a good looking dude, Yeah. which music are you going with? Now or then? Then. You just got 15 bucks for your birthday. I would choose 311. I know, I know. Now I would definitely choose Frank Flagg. Okay. But when I was, what, 14? Yeah. Throwing my money at 311. Wow, okay. Yeah. You've seen that guy's abs? I brought him up like 10 (laughs) times on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) And this is the first time we've actually talked about the band. Exactly. Wow, those must be some serious abs. (laughs) I was blown away. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you everyone for listening. If you haven't already done so, it'd be really amazing if you could do these things that I always forget. You could like. Like it, yep. Subscribe. Subscribe. Mm -hmm. Rate. Rate. Give it a five-star rating, review. Yes. And, you know, keep coming back. I mean, really, that's the best thing. Keep coming back. And write me an email. I love to hear from listeners. Honestly, it keeps me going. Hearing from listeners say they were reintroduced to a song that they forgot about, heard a new song that they loved. Yeah, it's a big reason why I do the show. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, if you want to send me an email, and please do, you can reach me at thisismodernrock at gmail.com. 
Thank you so much, Orly, for coming back on the show. Oh my God, you're so welcome. I'm so insightful. (laughs) I hope to hear from you soon. Of course. All right, everyone, have a good one. Catch you in May 1993. Bye.